Hey fam, welcome back to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman. Today, we are joined by my good friend, the trail running legend, the pride of New Zealand, the one and only Anna Frost is finally here on the podcast and I'm so happy about it. Frosty's a longtime friend. She was one of my in original inspirations as a pioneering professional athlete in the sport when I was but a pup, a young, ambitious, up-and-coming trail runner myself. She has won and finished on the podium of many of the biggest races in the world. She is unquestionably one of the all-time greats. As you'll hear, her relationship with running has changed a lot over the years, but it was as good a time as ever to have her on the show. Some topics we discuss, Anna's current relationship with running, her Kiwi roots, the early days of the Solomon International team and all the amazing characters on that founding squad. We talk about Hard Rock and her community in Silverton. We talk about career management, aging as an elite athlete, current project that she's involved with. We talk about the state of the sport in 2024 and a lot more. It's a great convo. Frosty is the best and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Before we get to it, a reminder that we're doing a six-week Zoom-based off-season strength training program program led by free trail expert Hannah Allgood. This is week number three. So if you're keen to set a strong foundation for the season, come get strong with us. It's open to all free trail members. Subscription is only $10 a month or $96 a year, which means that even if you subscribe and cancel within a month, you can still get some great strength classes for only 10 bones, a smoking deal. If you're looking for more hands-on guidance for your 2024 racing goals, please do check out Free Trail Experts also, Free Trail's coaching service. We have some great coaches ready and eager to help you take your game to the next level. If you use a Free Trail coach, also you get all the perks of being a Free Trail member. Zoom calls, our Slack space, exclusive discounts, member-only content, and a lot more. It's white glove coaching meets fun and supportive community. Think about it. I have links in the show notes for both Free Trail Pro and Free Trail Experts. Finally, thanks to the brands who support our efforts here at Free Trail. In addition to Speedland, we work with Osprey, a brand new partner for 2024. And of course, our loyal friends at Gnarly Nutrition and Ketone IQ. Make sure you check out the show notes for links and discount codes from these great brands. Enjoy the convo with Anna Frost. See you in the outro. Trail Podcast is presented by Speedland, the pioneering premium trail brand from Portland, Oregon, and the makers of the brand new GSPGH. The Cam Haynes Commission is almost here. In fact, Dave is at the factory as I record this, and the shoes are on schedule for an early October delivery for all those who pre-ordered. Get excited. This shoe is amazing. The GSPGH is a lot like the GS Tam, but with a slightly softer midsole compound for a super plush and comfortable ride like all Speedland shoes. The GSPGH has the patented removable plate, a technological innovation you can only find with Speedland products. Speaking of the GS Tam, we still have some of the smaller sizes available, but we are completely out of inventory in size 10 and above for men. That's 11 and a half and above for women. That means that not even I can get another pair of my signature shoe. I have two fresh pairs stashed away here at home. They are collector's items that I will probably keep in perpetuity and I will never get another pair. So if you want one, you better go act fast. Visit runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the GS TAM, the GS PGH, or the SLHSV. 
Thanks so much to Speedland. On with the show. Anna Frost. Frosty, the legend. Finally on the podcast. So good to see you, my friend. (laughs) How are you? I I am great. More importantly, how are you? Great, thank you. And you're you're home in New Zealand right now. We'll get to that in a second. But Frosty, of course, you're a legend. You're somebody who needs no introduction. But I always start these podcast conversations in the same place. And it's a great way to get to know our guests on a more personal level. So the introspective opening question for you, Frosty, what makes you, you, what are your, your unique strengths and weaknesses? How do they show up in your life? Yeah, so... Um Thank you. About time we got this going. Um, it's so great to see you again. I miss miss hanging out with you heaps, um, but this will do for now. I'm from opposite sides of the world. Um, who makes me who? I think that's such a hard question to start off with. Um, I think change makes me who I am. I think evolution or evolving makes me me. Um and I would like to think that's the same as every human on the planet because we never remain me or we re- never remain who we are or who we were. And I think once you can really embrace that, it's so much easier to take those forward steps. You know, we often say like things like, oh, I'm getting back into running or, oh, I'm getting back into shape or oh, I'm going, getting back into my days of racing or whatever. But I think from a lot of self-work and a lot of um, experience over so many years of racing, I really learned that there was no going back, you know, and we know that, but it's really hard to grasp. And so for me, it's, I always like to think of like, oh, here are our steps forward or here is how I'm going forward. Um, And so I think that of myself, that I'm forever changing, forever evolving. And um, I think what's definitely helped with how my career has gone is that I've always had open doors of opportunity and I've never been afraid to like step through that door and if it's like a total failure just like back out and go nope Uh wrong door (laughs) try the next one um and I think that's enabled me to evolve you know to go from a hockey player to go to a mountain runner to go into ultra running white like you know why not just try it and we'll see what happens Mm. and if it's a total failure we'll just jump straight back out of that um and so yeah I think it's I think it's the ability or maybe openness to just evolve and keep evolving. So is that natural for you? It's funny, Anna, and this is such a great place to start because it really will provide a a perfect foundation for the rest of our conversation, (laughs) all the changes and evolution that has been present in your life since we've known each other. But for me, I'm terrible with change. I resist change and it creates mm-hmm. a tension and an anxiety in a lot of cases that's counterproductive to me being a healthy member of society. Has change <laughs> and evolution always been something that you've dealt with easily or is that something that you've cultivated over time? I think it's natural. I think um, I need change. You know, when I've been somewhere too long, I'm like, oh gosh, what else is there out there? I think I've got a real adventure spirit and I think that was born into me with my parents. We traveled a lot when I was young. And so I think that travel bug is, you know, in me. And 
that was the beauty of the running is that not only did we get to run, but we also get got to travel to these places um, that were far and wide and beautiful, new cultures, new people. And for me, that was one of the biggest beauties. And that's why, you know, sort of travel and running are so like well married together because you can do that with the, with the racing, you know. Mm. Um, but definitely um, – I love change. I love like maybe the unknown a little bit because mm. it's sort of exciting. Um, definitely, you know, when you get home or you get to that place that you know there's something so special about just going, oh, okay, I'm home. You unpack your bags and it's like very relieving. And I definitely get that and more and more now so. But um I still get a bit itchy, you know. I get like, hmm, now what else should I do? What should I do next? What could I do next? It's so funny. I was going to ask you about that too, Frosty. You're back home in New Zealand now. You are somebody who's traveled the world. You split time here in the United States, which we'll talk about in a bit. But as somebody who in a lot of, in most of places that you go around the world, you're so far removed from where you are now in your <laughs> natural home of New Zealand. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear you talk about the feeling, the personal feeling, and almost like the biological feeling of going back to Dunedin or wherever you are yeah. now and yeah, the Dunedin. connection that you feel going back home, especially now that you're a mother and you bring your daughter with you. Because just yeah. thinking about it myself, when I go to Colorado too, it's not far from where I'm standing now in California, but there's something about it where it feels like almost my body recognizes being home. I'm wondering right. if you feel something yeah. similar. It's a hundred percent that for me, you know, when you go to that place um, and it's not necessarily a home in terms of like four walls and a roof um it could be a person or it could be a waterfall a ra it could be all waterfalls they all make you feel like that but you know there's that one place that you go and you take like the biggest breath you can possibly ever take and you're like oh my gosh how big are my lungs how did I just breathe so big and you feel totally calm and your brain shuts up for a minute and everything's like content. For me, that is Dunedin Beach. Um, we're actually out of Dunedin a little bit in a little town called Aramoana, which means in the Maori language is the pathway to the sea. And I can go to the beach there and I can, you know, with the hills on the side, I can see the horizon and it goes obviously forever. And I stand there and I look at that and I feel free and I feel safe and I feel content and I take that giant breath. And it's not just the Dunedin beaches, it's any horizon. And so I think for me, my like stability or where my feet can ground and my lungs can breathe for me and I feel really content is that space. Wow. And so when I come back to Nen and I come back to this, you know, our little tiny house down at the beach, I um, I feel really content and I, I don't have, like obviously I love mountains and I love being in the mountains. And when I get to the top, I'm full of like, yeah, I did it. Wow, this is incredible. Look at this. But I also get filled with a bit of like anxiety and stress not bad anxiety and stress good anxiety and stress where I'm like oh, look at that oh I could do that and oh look over there and oh look at this 
I'm never as present as I am when I stand on a beach and look out at the horizon. Mm, beautiful. Well, welcome home. Thank you. It's I'm so sure good it's to be nice. here. Sure well, nice. the sun's finally come out because the the summer in um, Dunedin is never very lush. We live like we're way, way southeast coast of Dunedin, so our sort of direct weather comes from Antarctica, so you can imagine what that can be like. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm so happy to have you on the show, and we have so much to talk about. And I would like to maybe come back and talk about some of those kiwi roots. And I want to go back in time also and talk about some of your origin story. But before we do that, I figured it would be fun to just talk about your current relationship with running specifically. What role does the activity play in your life at this point? Uh, It doesn't, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really, it's been really interesting right now. It Running has not been serving me. Um, I ran on the 2nd of January in a little local race. Um, It's about one kilometre and it goes up a hill and back down. And it was pretty much the only run I've done this year. (laughs) Um, No, I have done a few more. We had, I was lucky to have I Run Far, um, Megan and Brian come and visit. So, of course, had to take them on the local runs. But um, yeah, it's it's in a really interesting place for me. I absolutely love running. It's a passion. But right now, like the idea of going running does not fill me with passion. Mm. Um, the I've loved getting on my mountain bike and I have just come back from a trip in the mountains with some friends where um, we took sort of fast pack gear and just climbed up and up and up, had our fast pack bivvied out for the night, had some freeze-dried food, which always tastes incredible, you know, when you're out hiking, Um, and then hiked back out again. And that, like, was so fulfilling for me, just to be up in the mountains but without the, um, I don't know, sort of the pressure or the jiggling of running. So when you say it's not serving you right now, Mm. say Mm. more about that. What does that mean? I think it just um, doesn't feel necessary. It doesn't feel like I need it to be happy. It doesn't, I don't feel like I I don't have a big race that I'm aiming for or um, the need for the running fitness. Um, I feel like through sort of my own exercises, through biking, through chasing Skylar around, which I'm sure I cover 10 miles a day doing that um, anyway. Um, and then the ability, and, and I, I feel very grateful that I have the strength and probably a very well-built-up endurance that I can go to the mountains for two big days hiking around. And and I feel like I don't need the extra running to um, fill my love bucket. When was the last time that running was serving you has it been a while because it it, by the sounds Um, of it it seems like you've been disconnected for a bit yeah I um over summer when I was in Silverton um I have had a bit of a knee niggle and so running or even hiking up in the mountains because the San Juans are a little bit different that you typically hike up and jog down anyway because it's too you know high altitude and too steep to run up anyway um So because I had this bit of a knee niggle, I sort of said the miles have to be worth it, Um, you know. So I'd really chosen 
particular days and routes that I really wanted to do. And I had chosen the John Kappas route, who's um, one of the founders of Hard Rock and who had chosen this 50K loop around Silverton to do as his training run. And it is brutal. Like, it is really, really hard. And so um, I had decided to do the 50K route over summer, like not in one go. Um, And so that was sort of like, to me, those miles were really worth it and worth putting my knee in a bit of like pain for that. Um, And so, but after that, I've actually had um, just, it sort of seemed like one sickness to the next. And part of that was like gross, yucky kids going to daycare. Um, And so sort of got those. Um, I do wonder if maybe I had got um, long COVID and that was sort of not you know, helping me either. Um, and then, you know, we were traveling a bit, so I was picking up bugs and germs um, and I just couldn't seem to get right. And so um, it was sort of eight to 10 weeks of like a cough and then a head cold and then a headache and then kids bugs and um, running was absolutely a no-go because I didn't want to get more sick. So now that I feel like I've come out of that and I feel like, you know, the sun rays have beamed me up again, um, maybe I can think about doing some running again. Um, But, yeah, the running for me is definitely different when I'm in New Zealand. Um, Running here is like I from my house I have like a six-kilometre route out and back that I do and it's got a seal colony at the end so I spend probably more time looking at the seals than I do <laughs> running anyway um and I think I think the running for me now when I do run it's about where I want it to take me mm. rather than the actual running miles or the training in my legs or yeah. the distance it's more about oh I really want to go see the seals because they're having puppies now so then I run to the seals to see the puppies yeah um and or like oh we better run up there so I can show I run farther views up the top of the mountains but, but it's not nothing. about the metrics or the performance <laughs> yeah, or the training exactly. well exactly. we're going to come back and talk about a lot of that obviously you know that I identify with that a lot with my own mm-hmm running right now and you mentioned Skylar a couple of times and chasing her around. I texted you a video today of my son crawling after Skylar in the backyard of Brian and Brian Powell and Megan Hicks house in Silverton. I I can't wait to post it on the internet when we put this episode out. It's so, so so cute. (laughs) Going back to your roots and going back in time, you just mentioned, you know, that you were a hockey player. And from what I recall, when I became familiar with you was that you were a mountain runner. So for those who are maybe newer to the sport, I'm sure most people are familiar with all the great things that you achieve, but they may not be as familiar with how it started and your origin Mm -hmm. story. So maybe just paint that picture too, because I think it'll be important as we start talking about a lot of the things that you did accomplish. Yeah. So I um, was a field hockey player my whole life. Um, played hockey like every day for club development, New Zealand development, you know, school. Um, but I also did lots of other sports during school, high school, because I realized that I could get out of class if I did the, did more sports. Um, and, um, then when I went and got to university, I started doing more triathlon. So it was sort of a lot of you know, I'd always do the school harriers or the school cross country or school athletics, played touch rugby, played, you know, did rowing, did 
everything. Um, so I was very holistically fit, you know. Um, and it was 2004 and I had helped mark the course for the National Mountain Running Championships. And um, my coach, triathlon coach, said to me, oh, why don't you just do the race? It would be great training. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess that sounds great. Um, and so I was the fourth counter, which meant that I qualified for the Worlds in Italy that year. Um, so the World Mountain Running Championships, uphill only. And then I think it was maybe about eight kilometers from the bottom to the top and you stop at the top. And um, so I went and I raced and I just like, it wasn't a very good race because I was too busy, like eyes wide open, like, oh my <laughs> gosh, this is a thing. I was like, up there? That's so steep. Um, but I fell in love with it and um, met lots of people there that actually did this thing called mountain running as a job. And I was like, you what? And so then it, it was called the World Mountain Running Grand Prix Series, yep. just like a car Grand Prix where you go around, it was mainly Europe. Um, racing in these uphill mountain races, getting points. It's um, like the the equivalent of the World Cup now, mountain yeah, running World exactly. Cup. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And so the next year I just packed my um, backpack with my tent and my camping stove and I came out to Europe and um, sort of contacted the first race that there was and they said, yep, great, come along and stayed at the hotel and um, met lots of people, um, did the race. And then it was just wonderful because there was all these people that were like moving with the circuit. And so I often call them my meandering family, um, like Ricky Gates included. And um, we would sort of go off camping in the mountains and training for the week and then reconvene at the next um, Grand Prix for the, the circuit. And um, it was just a fantastic way to like I was saying earlier, combine the travel with the running and um, and also, you know, world-class racing. And I just learned so much um, about different types of races, different types of techniques. Like all of a sudden I could see that people power hiked uphill. And I was <laughs> like, power hiking up a hill? What are you doing? Why are you not running? Um, and But they would be power hiking straight past me as I was trying to run. Um so I did that sky running series for quite a few years and then uh, the distances sort of crept up. You know, they go, the sky running then has like the half marathon distance yeah. and the marathon distance. And I think I got to a point where I was sort of intrigued about what was around the next corner and what was over the next hill. And and this was um, part of the open doors of opportunity. You know, there was no reason why not. So when someone would say to me, hey, come to this race. This is a 42K race. I would say, okay, that sounds cool. Mm. Um, and it, it was um, – and at the same time, Solomon um, was sort of really getting into trail running and sponsoring runners and giving these, giving us all these incredible opportunities to travel to races. Yeah. And who was I to say no to that? Yeah. You know? All right, so pa pause there because okay, I want to come talk about Solomon. I just wanted to get okay. – you know, that, that transition and it, okay. you sound very much like a quintessential Kiwi or Australian or somebody just <laughs> pack the stove in the backpack, just go to Europe and figure it out. And what a yes. great way to live, especially when you're young and you don't have any obligations. Yeah. 
This episode is brought to you by Osprey. Super excited to be working with this iconic Colorado brand, the market leader in technical outdoor and travel packs, celebrating its 50th anniversary in 2024. One of my favorite podcasts of last year was the How I Built This with Osprey founder Mike Fotenhauer, an incredible story of design and innovation, which remains a core part of Osprey's DNA to this day, and that they're now focusing on the trail running category. You guys will absolutely love these trail running packs. I promise the Duro and Dyna are the men's and women's options respectively with an extremely robust product selection for runs of all types, quick lunch runs to multi-day suffer fests. I've been rocking the six liter Duro vest and absolutely love the fit, the function, the durability. Born in the San Juans, trusted by top athletes like Tyler Green and Rachel Drake. You gotta check out these products to make them even better. Osprey's full line are also sustainably crafted with blue sign approved 100% recycled main body materials. Again, making them a leader in the category. Head over to Osprey.com to check it out. Grab a bag. That's Osprey.com. Or chances are you can find Osprey products also at your favorite local specialty mountain shop or run store. Thanks so much to Osprey. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and our brand new collaborative product, Orange Drank. The brand new formula and flavor of Gnarly's flagship endurance drink makes Fuel 2.0, which I've been evangelizing here on the podcast for a couple of years now. Orange Drank comes with a salted orange flavor and appropriately an increased concentration of sodium. You all know I'm a huge electrolyte guy in training, racing, and in daily life. So we decided to reformulate the mix and add a bit more of that salty stuff. I couldn't be happier with the finished product. It's so delicious, but more importantly, it will make you feel like a superhero while you're out getting your shred on. Typical of all, the Fuel 2 Orange Drink also has 560 milligrams of HMB, a metabolite of branched-chain amino acid leucine to help prevent muscle breakdown and reduced post-workout soreness. You get carbs, electrolytes, calories, HMB, hydration. It's everything you need straight from your bottle. Simplicity, one of the main reasons why I've always relied on liquid calories. It's so cool for us to have this product collab out in the world, orange shoes with Speedland, orange drank with Gnarly. Go pick up a bag today. Go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. One of the things I'm curious about is whether you were influenced by Jonathan Wyatt, because he was like a six-time mountain running world champion at that time from, yes. from New Zealand. He mm-hmm. was the best in the world, unquestionably. Absolutely. And you know, you, there weren't probably a lot of role models for you coming out of your home country of New Zealand, but the best person in the world. Did, was Jono an early inspiration for you? Yes. Absolutely. I mean, I I didn't meet Jono until the first year um, in Italy, and he had actually just come from the Olympic marathon um, the week before. And then he came out and he won the World Mountain Running Championships, I think by something like four minutes over a second. Um, and he was, he is incredibly down to earth and friendly. And um, yes, absolutely. He had an influence of like, hey, Jono, where should I go next? And he was like, oh, this is the next race and go there and do this. He was um, a little more settled at that point. He had a home that he would go to and then he'd come back out um, for the races. And um, 
but definitely he would say, you know, these are the great places to go. Introduce me to a lot of really fantastic people. Awesome. And now, I mean, just looking at the last 15 years, obviously there's Jonathan Wyatt, who we just mentioned is a legend, yourself, absolute legend, Ruth Croft, Hall of Famer also, mm-hmm. Scotty Hawker. So there's been like a great tradition. And now even like Dan Jones is crushing it too, yes. the Western States, UTMB, et cetera, Tarawera. So there's a great tradition of like top Kiwi runners now. And there, is there in your mind, like a commonality between the characters that I just mentioned or about Kiwi sporting culture that has created such prowess in the ranks? Well, I think um, typically New Zealanders are very humble and would never be like, yeah, I'm pretty good at what I do, you know. Um, And I also think that they're pretty up for giving it a go. Um, And so the idea of like coming to Europe and just having to go and seeing what happens is not scary. Um, I mean, yes, it is a little bit scary, but it's like it's worth the little bit of scary to go and do it for potentially a great outcome and mm-hmm. to have a go. Why not? No one knows who you are anyway because you're from little old New Zealand. Um, but we are extremely lucky that we have incredible mountains and some very classic races in New Zealand that um, we've had. We've got amazing role models um, that have done these races for years and years and years and have set such a high standard uh, while remaining very humble. Yeah, I love that about each of you. Okay, so eventually you join the Solomon International team among the likes of Killian Jornet, Francois Dain, Iker Carrera, Miguel Harras, Ryan Sands, Ricky Gates, again, just like a who's who, especially in that era of the sport. And there was the advent of Solomon running TV, which I want to talk about here in a second. Dean Leslie and the African attachment that would travel around with the team and make a lot of incredible content that inspired a whole generation, myself included. Mm -hmm. For those who weren't around at that point in the history of the sport, paint the picture of that transformative time because I really do feel like it provided the foundation for this modern era of the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a lot of fun. you know, our sponsorship at the time was not high level. You know, it wasn't really professional. If I like, we're talking some good shoes, free travel, expenses covered, and, um, you know, a couple of thousand, but you don't really need a job because we'll cover you the rest of it, but you just have to say yes to everything, you know? And we were like, okay. <laughs> um, and we were all highly passionate about running. And I would say probably about all of those people travel as well. And so we could see that there was just so many places to go and race. And we just had a lot of fun because what was there to lose? And we were with very like-minded people and um, just had, you know, even though we all had very high expectations on ourselves and also on each other, we also allowed ourselves to play hard and um, train hard and race hard. And um, the the other difference, I think, maybe then was also that there was like a race series. And so we would start the rate, the 
race season fresh after everyone had sort of had either their winter skiing or for me, I would come back to New Zealand and have the summer laying on the beach. Um, We'd come back and we would start that first race in like April and we would race the same races. And by the time we got to the end of the season in like October, we'd all be completely wasted. (laughs) But it was fine because we're all on the same, like, all wasted. So, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, And, you know, because we did so much travel together, uh, we had to be each other's family and each other's support. And um, we were the ones that saw each other in those highs and also in those lows. And, you know, we're picking people up, you know, Um, especially when sort of we began doing more press conferences, more interviews, more um, group runs and more travel where, you know, let's face it, we're runners. We're actually really, um, we really want to be on the mountains on our own, you know, but all of a sudden we had to be with other people all the time and we weren't getting like rejuvenated, I guess, as much as we needed. And so at various points we all were like, oh, you know, and so we really needed each other to to pick each other up and give each other some space. And um, and I think because we were training together, um, while we were still com- very competitive and we would compete until the finish line, we were there for each other as well. Um, you know, we would wait for each other at the aid stations if we were halfway through and could see the other one was struggling a little mm. bit, you know, like, come on, let's go. We've got to keep moving together. There was a lot of that. Um, and, yeah, it was just it was just a very special time, I think, purely driven by passion mm. over profession. Yeah. What was the feeling among that group at the time? Like, did you have a feeling that something incredibly special was going on because all those individuals that I just mentioned will go down in the history of the sport. And it was all documented beautifully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were so in it, you know, like we were just living the dream. You know, we, we were not really aware of what was happening or where it was going, or we understood that this was the beginning of something. Um, and we were so lucky that we had then the African attachment along. They became really great, great friends with our meandering family again. You know, we almost forgot that they had the cameras with them. We were very open and honest with them. And, and we trusted that they would tell our story honestly. They wouldn't do anything that, you know, was a bit manipulative just to have good media. They told beautiful stories. They were very... Um, precise on getting the shot sometimes so much so that you were like I'm out I'm done here. <laughs> the yeah. light's no more takes for god's sakes come on yes exactly yeah uh and yeah they they really did document but like I said we were just having a lot of fun without the pressure of being like oh you know you guys are creating something here no we were just having fun we were just doing what we loved. It feels to me as an observer, and again, as somebody who consumed all those videos voraciously and used it as my own muse to create a career in the sport, that you must all look back at those years with a tremendous amount of nostalgia, of just like what an incredible thing we were able to do as a team and galvanize this sport to become something that is totally different now, way bigger. It was built Mm -hmm. on the back, I think, uh, 
in a lot of ways of what you guys created with that early Solomon International team. Speak specifically about Killian really quick, because I think our listeners would love to hear this because he was literally a teenager in these years. He was a baby. And so you you were among the small group of people who who witnessed his ascent from the earliest days. Was it apparent to you and the rest of the Solomon team that he would become the phenomenon that he has? Yeah, um, he like like you say he was a baby. He came um, in, you know, when he was just like a sweet and little innocent kid, um, and he is humble and he has remained humble. You know, he has never become a celebrity with the ego bursting on at the seams. He um, even even in I don't know two thousand and. 16 maybe in my second hard rock I think Killian ran with me for about the first 10k just chatting away with me and I'm like Killian go I can't talk to you anymore I'm too tired already go um just you know very friendly this is the like you were saying the the uh, you know how does it feel with all of those people well all of those people still remain some of my best friends, you know, they've seen me go through everything. I've seen them go through everything. We all helped each other climb, you know, sort of professionally, physically through the ladders of um, which races do we do? The idea is how do we do social media? How do we grow here? How How is this changing for us? How is this good or not good for mm. us? Um, and, and Killian always was a lot of fun. You know, when we were traveling, we, we did party hard. And we trained hard and we played hard. And he would be, you know, always keen for an adventure, even if it wasn't high pace, high speed, even if he was the one like pushing me up a hill or pulling me back down because I'm going too slow. So uh, I would say also very humble. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So, so fun to be able to talk about this stuff with you. So it wasn't all good, as you've referenced. I went back and watched the Solomon running video that they made about you that's called home that people can find mm -hmm. on YouTube. I'll make sure to include a link in the show notes of this conversation. And you, in that video describe like a really low moment in your career video is mm -hmm. more than 10 years old at this point. Yes, that's gonna say. What, what do you remember from, from that particular moment that, you know, moment of adversity and how do you think about it now with a decade of perspective? Well, this is the thing you're, you know, I'm always grateful for moments like that because you learn so much. In the moment, you're like, why me? This is awful, blah, blah, blah. But when you can look back, you can go, wow, that really changed a lot. And for me at the time, um, it was right at the time when social media was getting bigger and we were sort of getting into this whole thing of like Facebook likes and how many likes do you have and how many <laughs> likes do you have? And, and we, you know, this was a value of, how successful you were. And so instead of me being like the confident person I am and trusting that like, oh, I don't really care how many likes I have, all of a sudden this turned of like, oh, if I don't run, then who am I? Mm. And I was tired. I was exhausted. I wasn't getting rejuvenated from my own time of running. We were traveling a lot. I had started getting injured and you know, in hindsight, I feel like the injury was just that my body was telling me to stop, slow down, 
have a break. I kept trying to race. I couldn't race. So now I'm worried about not having Facebook likes because no one would like me because now I'm not running. And it was just like this vicious cycle that I was just going down. And in the end, it just got too much. My body shut down. Um, I came home and I was like, that's it. I quit. Um, but I, you know, I was still passionate about running. I didn't really want to quit, but I didn't want to be part of this cycle where it was like, I wanted to remember that I was enough and that I was me and that running was, or is just running and I'll remain who I am without any likes or any social media. Um, and, and while that sounds really simple and easy, it took me months to, figure that out and embrace it and to actually be able to say the words to myself that I am enough. Mm-hmm. Like I could not say those words without bawling my eyes out and be like, oh, I am enough, you know. Um, and so once I'd sort of gone through that process, the injuries cleared up, surprise, surprise. Um, and I came back into running with this sort of refresh like, I'm just going to run because I can run. I'll run as hard as I can because I love doing that. I'm going to train to win this race because I want to. Mm. And if I don't, it doesn't matter if I get, like, no Facebook likes out of this because that's not important to me. Um, What's important to me is that I'm enough, that I'm healthy, that I'm safe, and that I'm grateful for what I've got. And it gave me a whole new lease of life of racing's just so fun. And I can go to these dark places where it really hurts and it's really dark, but be super grateful for it because I chose to go there, you know? It's beautiful. It's almost like what we started our conversation with in you saying that running's not serving you right now. And it feels like when I went back and rewatched the film, the running was definitely not serving you in that right. moment. And the yeah. phenomenon of I am enough is something that I think everybody struggles with. Did your psychology change and your relationship with racing results change immediately after that experience? I mean, everything about running changed. You know, yeah. I I remembered why I was running and I remembered while I was why I was racing and I remembered why I was training that hard to win. Um, because I wanted to, you know, this is a hard thing. I think when we think about the phrase, I am enough, because you go, if I'm enough, does that mean I'm not striving for better? And I think if that's not at it, separate, you know, I am enough as a human. If this is what I've got right now, then that's great. You know, I've got mm. water, I've got food, I've got a house, I've got a wonderful family and that's enough. And as a human, I'm enough, whether it's mundane or exciting, it's enough. And you still strive. You say, oh, but I want to do this project. And if that project doesn't work, you're still enough. You still remain as that person. Your project is just a thing. Um, and so that's that's how running became for me. And this is when I realized that I still dreamed of doing hard rock and, um, and found the whole hard rock family and story. And you probably want to pause there because you'll probably want to ask me. Well, we can, we can go there next, but (laughs) okay. Yeah, we can go there next, but I just think that's beautiful and so well said. And I think, you know, I certainly struggle with that too. And I'm sure everybody does of just like never being satisfied, never, ever being satisfied and the tension and the just lack of stability and lack of satisfaction that it creates 
is such an artificially created thing for so many people when, you know, in most cases, most people that will listen to this do have enough right now. Well, I think it's it's very unsettling because, you know, we're, as a society, we want to achieve and we want to achieve great things. And we can and we will if we're determined enough to do it. But I think also that we can we can try to see more success in what we actually just have right now and celebrate those little wins. And um, and I, I've gone back to read the book um, in uh, The Pursuit of Happiness. Yep. No, The Book of Joy. Okay. <laughs> Both of those books are great. Okay. But, um, and The Book of Joy um, with Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, you know. Yeah. Um, and basically they're just these two joyous people coming together and talking about joy. And they just say, like, if you can release the need to have all these other projects on the go and the stress to reach those other projects, right where you are, you can just find the happiness just with whatever you have. And if you think of both of those people being so joyous with what they have, which was not a lot, um, I feel like if we could embrace where we are right now, then there could be a whole lot more happiness and and settled lifestyles where then you go, okay, now I'm in pursuit of that other goal that I have. And and I don't know if it becomes more focused or if it becomes easier or less stressful to say, I want to reach that when when the time is right for me without being like, what are all the things I should do right now? Yeah. It's funny. We've been talking about this with our small team here at Free Trail. I read something somewhere. I'll try and find the reference and put it in the show notes. But it spoke to me deeply recently because my instinct is always to like add more in some right. some frivolous pursuit of like whatever. We're, we're not enough right now. We need to add more. And there's yeah. some research that's been conducted about this too, where if you present a situation to somebody and you give them the prompt, improve this situation, the human instinct is to add something when in it's reality, something. it's the subtraction of something or maintaining steady yes. state and finding stability, which is actually the right thing to do. Anyway, I think that's just relevant to the whole feeling of I'm not enough. I need to add, I need to do more. I need to be yep. more when really maybe the important thing is subtracting, 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 and that will yeah. put you back in touch with the feeling of. Or even without um, subtracting, even just um, calling that a win. You know, being like, yes, I've got that and I'm going to, I'm winning right now. You yeah. know, like I always, it's, this is this mum guilt or parent guilt that, you know, you've probably got as well. And you go, um, oh, I've done so many great things today for my kid. And then the kid is like, I just wanted an ice block today. That's all I wanted. And you're like, oh my gosh, we have gone to the playground, to the library, we've gone swimming, we've gone kayaking, and you didn't get them the ice block. And you go, if only I'd got them the ice block. And then you feel bad. You're like, oh, I've failed my child. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, and just being happy with where you're at. um, It's it's hard. It's hard to connect to because you want to always succeed. It's so hard. you always want to provide. Mm. And um just and I, and I even remember this very early on with Skylar, like you know, the, there's always that thing of um, 
call it a win, you know, call like getting out of your pajamas a win and be stoked with that for the day. Um, and with your running, if you manage to get out the door and run two kilometers, call it a win, yeah. you know, that, call it training. If you don't even get out for a run, but you get to swing on the swing and run around the playground five times with the kid, call it a win, yeah. you know, and just be everything that you do. Be like, yes, I did it. At least I did this. <laughs> This is great, Anna. Thank you for the therapy session and the life advice. I'm sure there's a lot of people nodding along with us now. Retrail is proud to partner with Ketone IQ, the groundbreaking ketone supplement used by the world's top performers across all major sports. This simple shot packs quite an energetic punch, a cutting edge formula designed to fuel your brain and body for the long haul. As you probably know by now, ketones give you an extra well to pull from metabolically instead of using glucose as your main source of energy. Exogenous ketones from Ketone IQ elevate your blood ketone levels, mimicking the effects of natural ketosis and providing increased energy, improved mental focus, and enhanced physical performance. It's that steady, consistent clarity that you just don't get from caffeine or anything else for that matter. Whether you're an elite athlete, a busy professional, or someone just looking to optimize your health, Ketone IQ is here for you. I use it every day to perform at my best on and off the trails. I've met tons of free trail podcast listeners who are similar converts. You should too. Go get 30% off a subscription of this game-changing product by visiting hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30 hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30. So let's come back to what you just mentioned with hard rock, because coming out of that hard moment in your career, it feels like, a, you know, approaching the long course, especially the hundred mile type racing was maybe the spark that you needed in that moment to become motivated and inspired with your running again. I remember yeah. being in Silverton with you before you made the transition to racing hundred milers. I remember yeah. specifically you, me and Anton Krupichka went up a uh, yes. little giant pass. Handies. Yeah. No, no, it was little yeah, giant that we did together. Handies. No, we did little giant. Anyway, the important thing is that anywhere. now you are a two time hard rock champ, three time finisher, I think. And you live mm -hmm. in Silverton for much of the year. So, so just talk about that race and that community, that town and what it's meant to you in that decade since you and I were there together for the first time. So you were absolutely part of the inspiration to do Hard Rock. Um, I could not believe that we were on a race course when we were going up there. And you and Anton had like disappeared up the mountain and I'd said, oh, I don't know where to go. And you guys were like, it's marked. Just follow the markers. And I'm like, it's marked. What do you mean? We're like scrambling up the side of a mountain. <laughs> this is not marked. And sure enough, the little hard rock markers. And I just fell in love with it. It was just grand. It was big. It was beautiful. Um, and then, of course, you are faced also with the community. And it's in this little tiny town of Silverton, um, I had come there to crew Killian and, um, it was just so great to be able to see Killian able to walk around Suwatin and not get mobbed, you know, um, to have the freedom of just like, oh, this is such a great place. We're all calm. We're all here. We're all in for this journey around the mountains. And it wasn't so much about 
the race or the hype or the gear. Um, I remember Killian handing me his crew bag, which was one of those little Salomon shoe bags, you know, with the little pulley tie. (laughs) And um, I was like, oh, are you sure that's enough? And it was one pair of shoes one pair of socks and some little tiny Snickers bars. And I was like, Killian, is that it? And he's like, yeah, but I probably, you know, the aid stations have got heaps of stuff. And I was like, are you sure? Sure enough, we get into the aid stations and there is everything from sushi to broth to soup to nachos, grilled cheese. It's like a full restaurant. I was just, my mind was blowing. Um, And what was just fabulous is that was obviously people there that, loved the event so much that it was like their life choice and they would come year and year after year and year out as the place that they would go and this was just what they did in July that's where their blood took them and I instantly had that in my system I was like I have to do this Um, I was also not really sure about doing 100 miles because I thought it was actually quite ridiculous Mm -hmm. because the experience I had done, I had with 100 mile races was um, crewing or pacing at Leadville and Western States. And so one year that I had paced Francois at Western States, he spent five kilometers walking backwards. And I was like, this looks miserable. And, um, you know, there was... Uh, Leadville, Leadville years and I would see people coming in even before they'd got halfway and they looked horrible yeah. I was like this is ridiculous why would you want to run that far but then I met Hard Rock and I was like oh no it's 100 miles and I wonder even <clears throat> if it had been a 50 mile race would I have ever stepped up to 100 miles? I don't know. Mm. Because in my mind, 100 miles is just so silly. Yeah. And it still is. Like, I don't even want to drive 100 miles yeah, right yeah. now. <laughs> Let alone run 100 miles. Yeah. Um, and then, so that year, uh, I did the Bear 100 as my qualifier. And I had absolutely no idea about how to pace, how to race. I had the A-team crew. I had Rock Horton, who I put my entire trust in. I was like, you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. You tell me when to eat, and I'll eat it. You tell me how much to drink, and I'll drink it. And um, so I had Kath and Rock help me. I had some great paces just to keep me on par. I just looked at the record time and took 15 minutes off it, and that was my split times. So I thought, well, if I can win, I'll break the record. And I knew that all my splits that I needed to just get to the finish in 36 hours. So I had the whole thing dialed. Um, And I just had one of those days that just, I stuck to my splits. I did what Rock told me. And uh, Carl Meltzer before, uh, Carl Meltzer before had said to me, um, oh, it's only a hundred miles. It's not that far. And I was like, Thanks for the his, advice. His classic, yeah, his classic <laughs> one-liner that's completely, exactly. completely false. Yes, and so I remember being like eight kilometers in and being like, Carl, this is a really long way. A hundred miles is real long. In my head, I was like, it's only a hundred miles. It's not that far. It's only a hundred miles. It's not that far. Um, so I had like all the information I needed to get it done, and I did, and I had a dream day, like the textbook 100-mile day. Mm. Sure enough, then I get into Hard Rock the next year um, and was super scared about it. Like, so anxious, big mountains, a lot of travel, longer. And I had 
um, the honour of meeting Billy Simpson, who was a 10-time finisher at the time. And we just spent the next six to eight weeks camping in the area, doing all of the course. Um, and, you know, his his words were, well, it's not that, it's just a, what did he say? It's just a long hike around the mountains. Yeah. And I was like, well, you're right. It is just a long run hike around the mountains. And if you can go faster, you go faster. And I feel like that is sort of the whole hard rock story. Like if you feel good, go faster. And if you don't feel good, just keep moving. And it's, um, it's special. Um, so I did it the first two years, the third year, I sort of just felt like, I want to do it one more time. And then I definitely felt like I was, it was a good time to curtsy out and yeah. be like, okay, I'm done here. Um, the next year I then crewed up at Kroger's, which was so fun. Yeah. But again, it was 30 miles in it that, that year. And I couldn't believe how people looked. I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, is this how bad people look at 30 miles in? <laughs> but now you live in Silverton for much mm-hmm. of the year. So that early run that you and I shared together has in some changing, way led to changing run. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not taking this credit is all for you, it, Dylan. But my point is that there's something about Silverton that called to you, that touched you in a way yeah. that has made it at least your home for much of the year. Maybe the right question then is like, in what ways is Silverton similar and different to Dunedin? Like, do you recognize parts of the community there that remind you of home? No, the community, <laughs> the community is very completely different. Um, I think when I go to Silverton, you know, it's sort of um, the flowers are phenomenal. Like the wildflowers are like go straight to my heartstrings, and um, I could spend hours out there just looking at flowers. So I've never been anywhere that has striking flowers like the San Juans do in summer. Um, and I think it, that just filled me with an unexpected joy. Mm-hmm. Um, the mountains there are fill you with also ideas and dreams. You know, there is so much access to so many things, and which we don't really have in New Zealand. You know, our bush is so dense that if you want to go up a mountain, you better follow the the one trail because yeah. you'll be stuck in the bushes otherwise. Whereas in Colorado, you know, there's like, for example, the John Kappas route, which is just straight up there and then you come straight back down there. Um, but there's also lots of different ways up there. And um, that really captured, I guess, my intrigue and um, excitement for where else you can go. Mm. Um, and like I was saying right at the start, you know, I get that anxiety and stress, the good ones where I'm like, oh, look at this. Oh, look at this. So where could I go next? And and so I'm always drawn to going back to that. I think I love the community for the smallness and the closeness, but more so I think for me it's just that access into a place where all of a sudden you're just solo and reminded of sort of how small you are in this big grand world mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, very grateful for having that space to sort of move freely in. Yeah. Okay, cool. So fast forwarding, I think it would be fun to talk about kind of like the transition to post-competition life together. Mm -hmm. And I'd love for you to describe any moments that you remember that were particularly like painful as the peak of the glory days faded 
into memory like or yeah i think for um i don't know maybe this is females maybe not but um i got pregnant mm. so that was kind of it you know like yeah. okay you can't run up this big mountain now because you're about to have a baby um you know i had I'd had a really long career, running career. I was very content with an amazing career. I'd had lots of highs, lots of lows, lots of great people, family, friends, support along the way. And um, and I was sort of ready for the next phase of my life. I was ready to start a family. Um, I just didn't think it was would come immediately. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was out in Europe racing on the VK series, actually, and um, realized that I was pregnant very quickly out there. And so I sort of finished the VK series, listening to my body very well, but green in the face from morning sickness, uh, got back to um, Colorado to volunteer at Kroger's and, and found out I was pregnant. And so um it was sort of a nice way that I didn't have to make any decisions, that my life was just the open door of opportunity and it was evolving and changing and this is the direction we were going next. And I know a lot of um, mothers step into racing again after they've had babies, but for me I didn't really have that one race that I had to do or that goal to be competitive again. Um and maybe this is more of a personality type where, you know, when I'm running, I'm running. And when I'm mothering, I'm mothering. And when I'm mountain biking, I'm mountain biking. You know, I'm very, like, direct or focused on that thing. Yeah. And so um, I actually I had an amazing pregnancy and it allowed me to keep running throughout my pregnancy I even did some guiding of our running trips in Ecuador and Bhutan when I was six and seven months pregnant. Um, And then when I had the baby, I was just shell-shocked. You know, I was like, oh, wow, okay, life is done here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Really? So you you felt that, like, your body wasn't going to be able to sustain the amount of training that it would take to come back to the highest level? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Or you just weren't interested? Um. Mentally, I was not interested at all, one bit. Um, I I really struggled in the early um, phases of having the baby. Like that first 12 weeks, I had postnatal depression. And and I would say that that had come on from sort of the – I didn't give myself a chance or time to accept that – I was now going to have a baby and I had to breastfeed the baby. I couldn't just go outside and go running whenever I wanted and that I couldn't go there and I couldn't go there. I had a baby and I was a mother and while it was wonderful and beautiful, it was painful. I was tired. I was, um, had had an emergency C-section. So I was also recovering from this major surgery where, you know, they slit you in half and then give you a baby to look after and send you home. <laughs> you're like, what on earth? Moms are Everything. amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it a crazy thing. Yeah. And I just had to sort of work through this, like, yes, this is really hard. And it wasn't even that I expected or wanted to be racing, but to have the um, time to accept that this was 
the new me, that I was a mum and I was going to be focused on being a mother and that running really was just running and that it was absolutely not a priority and neither was the training oversleeping. <laughs> it's almost like where we started, Anna, with you saying that you're just good at change and this was a moment of change Weakness. that you were, were <laughs> yeah, ready for. And, that, and I, yeah, I think it was just... Um, but most athletes too, don't feel that. Right. And so maybe this is an interesting thing to talk about, too, because like, yeah, Skylar's born a beautiful, transformative moment in your mm -hmm. life. But I mean, dude, you're Anna Frost, man. You were one of, if not the best in the world. Like, was it ever hard for you to let go of that part of your life? Yeah. And I'm definitely still letting go. You know, um, Skylar's almost five and um you know, I got contacted by Transorcania um, a couple of weeks ago. Hey, do you want to come out and race? And I'm like, their immediate um, response is, of course I want to come. Of course I want to race. And then I think about it and I'm like, there is no way I would get over that mountain right now. I can't even run 5K <laughs> down the road. Like They sent me the same message and my response yes, was similar. Yes, I know, which yeah. is awesome, which would be so fun. Um, <laughs> a fabulous race if anyone – let's do a plug for Transorcania. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I um, – you know, instead of my immediate response being like, no, that's not what I do anymore. It's not my gig. I, you know, I'm not. My immediate response is absolutely I'll go. Like, how fun would that be? Cool, yeah. cool, cool. And so it's it's hard to let go of that. And um, I don't know if I ever will stop letting go of that kind of like excitement of like, oh, what a great opportunity because that's how I am. Um, I think um, – now I'm not um, sponsored, which has been really amazing. This is my first year in, like, my whole career that I'm not um, attached to a brand. It's just, it's hard to let go. It's hard to envisage yourself, like, oh, what do I ne do next? And, um, you know, even in this whole conversation, just at the start of this year, I felt really unsettled. I was like, well, what am I going to do? What's my thing? Where, you know, where am I going? Who am I? Blah, blah, blah. And almost a feeling of being a bit unhappy. And I was like, wait a minute, that's silly. Like I, you know, I'm content. I'm enough. I've got all these amazing things right here. I don't have to rush into anything else. I don't have to be sponsored. I don't have to aim for anything. I can just be happy with choosing to be content with exactly what I have. And it's been, it's been cool. It's been a good learning or like maybe a refocusing um, phase. And I, and I intend to try to stay like that for a few months before I kind of jump into the next bit, next sort of like project. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always things that I um, would be excited to do Um places that I've loved to go and go back to. Um, you know, I've always wanted to go to La Reunion, the island of um, the Diagonal Defu race, yes. the island of La Reunion. Should we go together, Dan? Let's go together. Go? I need redemption. Yeah, and do. yeah, let's, let's do a family trip there. Yeah, we Sounds could just fun. walk across the island together. and Yes, over like two weeks. Yeah. Can we do that? Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, and so those things excite me still, but it's definitely with a different, like, I, I'm not going to go training to win you yeah. know yeah well thanks for sharing that I think it's relatable I mean for someone like you who yeah like I said is a a hall of fame athlete who who was one of the greatest of all time I'm sure it is painful at times to sort of feel like 
you know, time moves, right? And as beautiful mm-hmm. as it becomes and as you evolve and as you have children and build a family, so many great things to be grateful for. But yes. I don't know, it's a human instinct to, you know, remember the well, glory days, but it comes back to the I am enough philosophy. Yes. Doesn't it? Yeah. And I think for guy athletes, like it would be easy to say, oh, well, your wife or your partner had the child, you know, like um, I remember when Francois had his first baby and I remember that the conversation kind of being like, oh, he can continue doing Mm -hmm. his racing just as he was. And I was like, but there's a baby, like, doesn't that mean that you don't sleep? And doesn't that mean you have to actually do stuff with your baby? Like, it's not just like (laughs) figuring itself out over there. Um, (laughs) And so Well, I mean, it's been a really hard, it's been a really hard transition for me. Amazing. You know, the greatest part of my life bar none, but it's impacted my athletic career. And I think that's the case for all parents more so probably for moms than dads. But I mean, speaking for myself, it's been a really hard adjustment. Well, and I think um, guys get sort of a tough go of it as well because let's be honest the babies actually just need mum they need mum to feed them they need mum to look after them I know it's Um, heartbreaking sometimes I'm like dude need me a little bit because they're crying and you're right there for a cuddle but they want mum you know or like the the thing is that it's just a hard place to also be part of as a guy Um, and so that's why I'm always like um and especially with people that I coach as well, whether it's a guy or a girl, a mum or a dad or whatever, that you always have to focus on the steps forward. And if that means that um, your baby got a cuddle, an extra cuddle from you today and you didn't get to go out for that run, claim it. Like it's okay. It's just one run, you know, and always taking those steps forwards. Well, the baby's done this now and so it's given me space to go for even a 20-minute jog or I've gone for a stroller hike or the baby's in the backpack and we're going to go learn together. Like in my mind, that's more important than doing your training. Yeah, of Um, course, yeah. You know, obviously we need like our peace of mind and that's where we, a lot of us go for the running. Um, You know, it's definitely where I go to tell my brain to be quiet for a moment and just stop. Mm -hmm. And um, that is also important when we have kids, but it doesn't have to be a run. It can be a walk, you know. So a couple more things I'd love to touch on before we wind down with my closing question, Anna. And I think we're sort of pressed for time here. So thank you for hanging with me. Hey, I can talk to you all day. Okay, good. So. Okay, good. <laughs> we so, might have to do a part two or three. Yeah, yeah, we should, we should do that. But yeah. there's a couple more things. Do you still have some time or should we? I have time. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure that I'm not just screwing up your yeah. afternoon here. But no. Two things. I'd love to talk about, you know, sort of building a career in the sport because you've been so effective at it. And I've also, I'd also like to just set sort of explore the state of the sport right now with you. Mm. So maybe starting with the career aspect, like you've built a really resilient career, you know, coaching, guiding, you've got your CSU girls project that you work on brand ambassadorships and stuff, even though it seems like that sort of come to a close now, I'm sure like some younger athletes touch base with you about advice and stuff as they grow in the sport. And I think it would be good to, for you to just sort of like talk about how you've been able to build and maintain a great career, especially as like your motivation and your exposure to the sport has changed over the years. Yeah, I think um, 
it, it's definitely changed over the years. Now it's a lot more professional. And, you know, we've seen races pop up everywhere, all around the world at every time of the year. And so there's not so much of a series of races now, you know, there's not so much of a family that of racers that move from race to race. You know, people can be a lot more select about what their brand expects of them or where they might go for, um, you know, particularly bonuses that brands offer athletes. And that can really direct where you go, what you do, what races you do. Races that particularly you might not particularly want to do or be really inspired to do, but you know it will be part of your career. Um, and that's where I stood very early on in my career. I would not do a race if I didn't want to do it. And um, in the end, that may have cost me my sponsorship. Um, but I was standing firm to that. I was only going to do a race if I was interested in traveling there or that it was really inspiring or that, you know, I really respected the race for the race directors, what they did, what they gave back to the community. And um, I stood firmly to that. And whether that cost me or not, I don't know. But um, I chose that. Um, if it's different now, I'm not sure. But I also feel like as an athlete, you have the choice to say to your brands, this is my morales, this is where I stand, this is what I will do and won't do. And if you don't set that marker, then I'm just going to be honest here, brands are brands and they're a business. And deep down, they're more concerned about themselves than what the athlete is doing. Um, and that is what I've learned. You know, I'm I'm very loyal person. I will do my my part for a brand, and a brand will do. You know, as a supportive brand, will do what they can for you. But you have to remember that it's a business, mm -hmm. and that you're a name in their business. And that comes back to sort of separating yourself from I am me, and this is my running brand. Um, and and that's hard to do. But when you know when you're negotiating brands or sponsorships you have to say Anna Frost would like this mm. and if they're like no we're not going to give you that instead of being like oh heartbreaking ouch that hurt to yourself you're going oh okay Anna Frost doesn't get that sponsorship what else could she get mm. and you separate it from you as a personality mm. um, and see it as a business mm. I think that's really important to see yourself put it in a in a basket and even talk to the brand about that image that's in the basket rather than it being personal um and I think the biggest question is your longevity um for me health was more important than anything and I wanted to be able to run a long career and I wanted to be healthy at the end of my career and I would not do anything that would put me out of that space of health first mm. so um you know it's important especially women in sport we're still seeing unhealthy um, behaviors and running and which makes me so sad because you just don't have to be mm -hmm. you can be very healthy we have access to help we have access to support and um for me it's so much more important to see longevity healthy strong women and men in the sport over high performance for a really short time mm. because in the end it's just running and it's not such a profession that you couldn't just go and get a different job. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it should be full of passion and it should be full of like a long career. So well said. So before we get to the state of the sports stuff, anything you want to say about oh, yeah. what you're working on now with your coaching or CSU or the 
guiding that you do that people might want to yeah. get involved with? So my, they're my projects. So our trail run adventures is our running guiding trips. And we have um, quite a few trips around the world, um, New Zealand, Colorado, Japan with Ricky Gates. Uh, we go to the Himalayas, Ecuador. We go around the TMB route. And um, I think that, you know, the reason when I, when we started that with my husband was that I had had so many opportunities to go to fabulous places around the world and I really wanted to share that with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of the trips were based on where I had raced before and we had great context, contacts with the um, race directors and so they had said, you know, come and do a trip, we'll join it up with the race and that's such a cool way for me to um, be able to share what I've been so honoured to receive in my career and and I absolutely love watching people experience the places that I love too. Mm-hmm. Um, then coaching has just been wonderful. I studied at university sports science and professional studies which is coaching and teaching. So it's been really wonderful to be able to share the knowledge of science, but also the lifelong race experience with people. Um, I've got a, about 20 athletes now of a huge, wide variety, some aiming for 100 miles, some aiming for 50K, some starting running again after a, a bout of injury. Um, and all of them, I've just, I'm so grateful to be on that journey with them. And um, the Sisu Girls is um, a foundation that we had started before COVID and COVID sort of put a bit of a kick in this one of um, it was mainly mainly focused on girls um, to sort of promote, uh, I guess, the tenacity and drive and determination in young women to go on the outdoors and to reach their potential. Uh, Just because I feel like, you know, we've sort of lost uh, sense of being a role model. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody is a role model. Every every um, every adult is a role model. And do we lose a bit of a like I am a role model sense and not have the confidence to empower all the young people around us? And so we'd started doing some CSU camps to challenge people to be like, oh yeah, that's right. I am really brave. I am really resilient. And to then be able to reflect that onto the young people in their worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, look, lots of stuff going on. Yeah, Plus, busy, busy, busy. Mom, yeah. <laughs> um, Skylar's almost five. Like I said, she's um, runs me in circles absolutely. Fortunately, she's a wonderful traveller, loves meeting people, loves running, loves events, uh, loves the beach, loves the mountains. So, um, Just like mom, just like mom. I want to come, I want to come. Well, that's great. Well, thanks for sharing all that. I'll make sure to include links Mm -hmm. in the notes in case people want to reach out about coaching or adventures or anything else. So then sort of rounding things out before we get to our final question, I'd love for you to just provide some perspective. I don't know how closely you're following the dynamics in the sport right now, but as somebody who's been in the game for a long time and has competed from the mountain running Grand Prix to hundred mile racing, I'd love for you to just kind of talk about the current landscape. Obviously it's been high tension at points, but there is a lot to be grateful for too, in the spirit of right. we are enough. Mm-hmm. What stands out to you as you observe the sport of trail running here in 2024? Um, I think it's pretty exciting, honestly. Um, 
there's some high-paced superstars um, that are running incredibly quickly over really hard terrain. There's changes with big brands um, coming in and swooping up. Uh, there are series all over the place, you know, this series, that series, doing this races, there's points, it's hard to get your head around. Um, I think it's exciting. And my take on it is that nothing's new here, you know. We've been seeing these big brands take over small races for a really long time. You know, when the sort of noise started this year, I was like, are, are we just waking up to this or mm -hmm. can we see that this has started years and years ago? Um, and like I said to you earlier, I had made the choice to not race any race that I didn't want to race mm -hmm. um, in 2009, you know, that I was putting my foot down, I would not race those races and and I didn't and that was my choice and I think we all instead of sort of saying like this is why I'm doing this this is why I'm doing that this is why you should not do this just do you and you make a choice if you don't like that lottery lottery and you think you could do better then do better go ahead and create your own race with the lottery you know if you don't like the way that they do that race series don't do the race series. You know, make your choice and make make your standpoint. No one needs to know about it. No one needs to be judged one way or another. If you enjoy doing that race, do that race. Don't feel bad about it. Go ahead and do it. And I think it's um it's just running, you know. And there's some wonderful races doing wonderful things. There's some other races not doing such great things. And you support whatever you want to support. Yeah. So well said again, <laughs> thank you so much. And I do, I think it's just really important to, yeah, that like not everything needs to be preached or said, right? Like do right. align your actions with your values. You don't need to, Absolutely. you don't need to, you know, justify it to anybody else. And at the end of the day, probably not vocalizing some of that stuff is for the benefit of the greater good of the sport sometimes too, because it, it does oftentimes just turn into a poisonous, vitriolic, mean feeling digital environment mm -hmm. right now. And a lot of and that is I just, just born from, I don't think it needs to be yeah. because all of them serve. They yeah. all serve a purpose for someone, for something. And we all have our own reasons for racing. Yeah. And you can't compare that with each other um and you don't need to compare that with each other you just do you yeah. and whatever serves you you go ahead and do or don't do <laughs> yeah great all right anna this has been so fun we definitely need to do a round two oh round three etc yes, it's so good do. to catch I, up i didn't with ask you. you any questions i feel <laughs> you, like i need to like come on your podcast you, and ask you all the no, no 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 um, <laughs> yes my my traditional closing question as i prompted you before we got started is who is one person that you admire? This person could be living or dead inside or outside of sports. And why do you admire that person? Um, I think I've got two sort of categories. Um, my family, my mom, dad, and sister, I think right from the beginning of life, they had expectations um, to achieve. And while it wasn't like forced down my throat, I definitely felt supported um, to try. 
I mean, I played drums, I played the clarinet, I did marching, I did ballet, I did everything and I felt supported enough to do it and to try it and to not do well at it and to try again and supported enough where I could be like, okay, I'm not good at that thing and that's okay and I'm going to move on and try something else. And for me, that's allowed me to spread my wings and fly when I have found the thing that I'm like, I'm going to pursue this. Mm-hmm. Um so that's my like my close um, category. And then I think more recently, maybe so after I read the Book of Joy, again by Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, I think the joy for me has just been sort of like my um, or uh, sort of the choice of happiness has been something that's really guided me over the last, um, you know, a few years of all of this change from professional running to pregnancy to moving on to what's next to how do I keep moving. Um, and it brings me back when I need to have that mantra of like, I am enough and I am grateful and I am happy and I'm going to choose happy. And I'm not saying I'm happy all the time. You yeah. know, there's um, there's times when I'm like, oh my gosh. And, you know, um, things aren't great and the world is not always great. Um But when I can just say, okay, I'm just going to keep it back to being basic and choose the happiness, I always think of sort of these two wonderful men getting together without even speaking the same language and talking of their joy and of how to um, attain that deep happiness with the bare minimum. Another beautiful answer. So the Dalai Lama, Desmond Tutu, certainly worthy of admiration. And you mentioned... Well, can't you just imagine them like sitting around laughing together? And I think that the choice of happiness is a good way to put it. It's something my wife preaches to me all the time. She's just like, Mm -hmm. dude, relax, let go a little bit. Just like decide (laughs) to be happy. Choose happiness. Stop being such a neurotic asshole. (laughs) And then your, your mom, you mentioning your mom reminded me that when I was rewatching your Solomon running video, you two look exactly alike. It's so yes. amazing. And, and so does Skylar now. She's just my little Twinkie. Really? So wow. It's very sweet. Well, Frosty, you're the best. Thank you so much Thank for coming you, on the Dino. show. It's been a joy to chat with you. I can't wait to share this with everybody. And I hope uh, our paths will cross very soon. Oh, I know. I hope so too. Thank you so much. Thank you, Frosty. What a human. Hope you guys all enjoyed the conversation. I loved the you are enough philosophy, something we all probably need help to remind ourselves of occasionally. Make sure you check out the show notes where I link to Anna's Instagram, her coaching service, her guiding company, the foundation, and the Solomon running video about her that we mentioned during the interview. Free Trail Pro members, let me know what you thought of the episode. Drop your feedback in Slack. Always love hearing from each and every one of you. A big thank you to our partners, Speedland, runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the best footwear products in the game. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off the best nutrition products in the game. Ketone IQ, get 30% off your first subscription to Ketone IQ by visiting hvmn.com forward slash 30. And finally, Osprey Packs, welcome to the family leading pack brand globally check them out at osprey.com thank you all for listening i hope you guys enjoyed it we're going to be making some important announcements about the big alta and gorge waterfalls on next week's episode so stay tuned for that until then love you mucho bye-bye